Hey, everybody. Welcome to episode 192 of the Running Rogue podcast. This is your host, Chris McClung, and I'm excited to be coming to you today with the conversation I had last week with two former Rogue Athletic Club members, Scott McPherson and Darren Brown, who were members of our elite team before they moved on to other things and both now actually work for the company UFOS, which is the recovery sandal. And while this is not a paid episode, I do have to disclose that they are sponsoring a virtual 5K series that we've been putting on through the summer. And we had this conversation with them as a part of that sponsorship of that series. But I think I wanted to share with you because I think it was a fun conversation that encompasses a little bit of rogue history, a little bit of what it's like to be an elite athlete and how to train like an elite athlete, as well as discussion about recovery. And in particular, if you're so inclined, what UFOs can can do for you as it relates to recovery, if that's of interest to you. So we cover all of that with them. But first, before we get there, I wanted to read an email that I got this past week about my last episode from a listener named John. And he says, I was just listening to the most recent Running Rogue podcast, number 191. I had some input regarding the time frame in which races are canceled. I can't say for sure whether this is specifically the case for the Chicago Marathon, but I have heard of other events dealing with this issue. With large events like marathons and professional conferences, an event may have insurance for postponement or cancellation. However, this coverage might stipulate that the event not be canceled too far in advance. The marathon was canceled 90 days before it was scheduled to take place, which is a nice round number that could plausibly have been in the time frame written into the insurance policy. And it would make sense that the event would be able to offer a relatively generous refund and deferral policy if they were able to get insurance to partially cover the cost to the organization. Regardless of whether this is the real scenario, I'm sure that the organizers of the event decided to cancel based on a complicated set of circumstances and factors can't be easy to be a race organizer in 2020. Otherwise, I just wanted to say that I enjoy the podcast. I discovered it about a year ago and have enjoyed both going back and listening to old episodes and catching the new ones as they come out. I've learned some specifics about training and running, and I've also been thoroughly entertained through long hours of working and driving and such. I especially wanted to convey that you made me think more deeply about the nature of women in running and other sports. I hadn't ever had any antipathy toward women competing in sports, having a separate division in races, this sort of thing. But some of your comments and advocacy on the subject made me think through more about why these teams and race divisions are important to emphasize, care about, and talk about. He goes on to talk about where he's from and said that he may have to come see us if he's ever down in Austin. So, John, thank you for that email. I've gotten a couple of emails that in the last week that have similar information about why Chicago decided to push their postponement. And I agree with you that it sounds plausible. And I have other evidence to suggest that they delayed announcing that because of insurance reasons. And obviously that makes sense. And I wanted to share that completely agree with your point there, as well as of course, recognize that you're right, it can't be easy to be a race organizer in 2020, and I'm sure Chicago did everything they could to initially try to keep the race to happen, but then also to notify people when they could. And I do appreciate, as I mentioned last week, the very generous options that they've given participants from a refund to deferral 
to compensate them, so to speak, for this change in circumstances. So thank you, John, for that recognition. And also, I wanted to thank you for mentioning the comments about your willingness to be more open and change your perspective, perhaps some, about about my conversations around women in sport. And I've actually gotten several emails from other men saying the same thing. And I appreciate those emails for two reasons. One, because it it shows that if you're listening and and really paying attention to my conversations there and are willing to have your mind opened and perhaps perhaps shaped a little bit based on those conversations, it's a good thing. It's a good thing to have an open mind and to be willing to accept those perspectives without being feeling like you're being judged. And that's an important characteristic that I wanted to thank you for, John. Thanks to other men who have listened to my conversations along those lines for being open-minded and being willing, even if maybe you aren't one of those that's, that's you know, doing the so-called wrong things. It's still important to continue to evolve our thinking and to be more aware about the need to elevate women in sport. So I wanted to thank you, John, for you and others who have been willing to have your minds be open on that topic. And secondly, it's I just wanted to say that it's something that is a huge passion of mine that I'm always going to talk about. And I appreciate the fact that that topic is appreciated by not just men, but also women who have emailed as well. It's so, so, so important. And in many ways, we need to go overboard in talking about it because the balance of conversation and power, so to speak, is so far off still that it's going to take a long time and it's going to take overcompensating for a long time in order to balance out the conversation, the opportunities, the equality for women in sport. And so you're going to see me and hear me screaming about that from the rooftops for as long as I have this podcast, you know, and and the examples on this are really simple. For example, the NWSL, the the U.S. Women's Soccer League, was the very first pro league in the U.S. to resume play under a quarantine system. They they were using a location in Utah where teams were able to fly players and they're able to get their games to be played again. The first league to do that. In the U.S., although they got no credit or recognition for that, they've also been able to do it safely. That that was a tournament that is now entering its semifinal stages that has happened safely and successfully, and yet that league is getting no credit for what they've done as leaders in this way because it's a woman's league. Secondly, if you try to go find the scores for what's going on in those games at ESPN.com, then you have to click through about three different links and search under a rock to find those scores, even though it's very easy to find the scores for men's games from Europe right now. And that, again, is just wrong because those games aren't getting the recognition that they deserve. They're also not televised. Uh, The first game was televised, but the other games have been 
televised only behind a paywall online. And that is just frankly wrong because the level of soccer, particularly, that's going on in these games is really, really impressive. And if people had the opportunity to see that, then they would be fans. But they don't get those opportunities because of this bias that's implicit in all sports. And again, thank you, John, for recognizing that. But I just wanted everybody else to know that that is a soapbox that I will not get off of. And it's really, really important to me because me, you know, not only because I want to see equality, but because to me, there's just so much inspiration to be found from women in sport and those stories need to be told equally and with the same megaphone that the stories of men get told because there's so much impact that could happen if that was done. And I hope that always this podcast will be a place where we can do that, particularly on the the women's running side. But as you know, I'm also going to be willing to talk about other sports from time to time as well if there's inspiration to be found. So with that, I just wanted to recognize John for being open-minded on that topic and thank you for your email. And thank you for also pointing out those those likely scenarios around Chicago's delayed announcement because I agree with you. I probably came off a little bit too hard on them last week in the episode and wanted to make sure that people heard me say your reasons and also the likely scenario for that delay so that so that if others decided to come strong against that race that they would have that same information. I was I was probably wrong there in in saying what I said in exactly the way I said it last week. So just wanted to recognize that. Thank you for the email, John. And with that, we're gonna turn to my conversation with Scott McPherson, Darren Brown, both now work for UFOS, used to run and work for us with Rogue Running here in Austin. Both competed at the highest level as elite athletes. We'll tell their story more as we get into the conversation, but this is kind of a fun meandering conversation that covers a lot of topics, and in particular, we get to recovery at the end. So with that, as an intro, let's jump in with Scotty and Darren. We are excited to have a crew from UFOS who are sponsoring our 5K this month. And hopefully we've got some people tuning in on Facebook Live. Some people might be joining the Zoom as well. But we're excited to have a little bit of a rogue reunion today as we've got UFOS team members, Scotty Mack and Darren Brown joining us. Plus, we've got Natalie, who's our local sales rep, hanging out as well. How are you guys doing today? Great. Back, man. Well, we appreciate you taking the time. I know it was fun to see you back in May. I think you guys kind of stole the show back in May when we did the kickoff. So we had to have you back. It's excited <laughs> to have you back. want to drill into not only your backgrounds, your time at Rogue, your, your time both as professional athletes. We'll also talk about recovery. And of course, we'll talk about UFOS. I've got mine on. It's been my quarantine shoe of choice as I mostly haven't left my, left my house. So <laughs> you guys are, uh, are with me every day in spirit on my feet. So. Right where I like to be, Chris. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. First, I just wanted to check in on where you guys are. And we've got Darren joining us from his in-laws place in Chesapeake Bay. We've got 
Scotty in Missouri. Where are you hanging out, Natalie? Right here in Austin. In Austin, Texas, with the banner and all. Well, it's good to see you guys. We'll start with Scotty. How have things been in quarantine? You're supposed to be in Hawaii. You're in Missouri uh, instead. What's it been like for you? Well, um, great. I mean, I've been with my wife throughout this quarantine, which is fantastic. Uh, I got really lucky. I was working in Hawaii. My wife is the gymnastics coach at the University of Missouri, so our home base is here, but I am the UFA sales rep in Hawaii, so um, kind of split time when I can, and uh, I got really lucky because I was visiting her when the pandemic started and the stay-at-home order started, so I was like, I'm going to stay here. <laughs> yeah. Um, Hawaii did a really good job of uh, quarantining and you know, like kind of locking it down. So they really controlled the overall numbers. But again, it's just been good to be with my wife, my dog, you know, local friends and family and stuff like that. So I've been in Missouri for the, the quarantine and uh, I'll head back out to the islands here in a, a month or so and um, just check on everyone. But overall, uh, yeah, it's been, it's been good. Yeah. I think Hawaii is the best state in terms of their numbers. So Oh yeah. Oh yeah. It'll be, it'll be, it'll be nice to go back. Yeah, Kauai Darren, had 21 cases. Total. Oh my gosh. <laughs> we have that like by noon here in Austin. Um, so Darren, you're normally in Boston. How has it been for you? It's been good. I mean, we, we transitioned to a remote work setting pretty early on in this whole thing. Um, I actually traveled like the first two months of the year internationally and uh, domestically a ton. Um, so I was settling into like a at home period anyways. Um, but, you know, we, we took it uh, overly precautious and we kind of sat everybody uh, back at home pretty early on. And we, it's been going well. I mean, I think our team has adapted really well and uh, business continues to truck along. Um, I think one thing everybody's learned is being at home on your hardwoods and tiles um, barefoot is always the answer, especially if you're putting in a 10, 12 miler in the morning, you need some of that ooh beneath the feet. So, um, it's actually, I think, you know, uh, we've become the new house slipper and, uh, I'm okay with that. Okay with that. No doubt. No <laughs> doubt. And you're at home with a new baby. You've got two now, right? How old is your youngest and oldest now? Yeah, dose. I actually have, uh, I've got a four-year-old who um, learned how to swim today. Big, big day. Nice. Uh, and uh, I've got a just over one-year-old, uh, Isabel. So uh, busy, as we call her, because she's into everything. Uh, she could climb before she could walk. And then <laughs> Abigail, Abba, is our, our oldest one. And she's, she's the sweetheart of the bunch. Cares about everybody. The younger one's a bowling ball, just rolls around, <laughs> things out. <laughs> I'm sure that makes working at home fun, right? Tag teaming with Sarah. <laughs> Natalie, how's it been for you, remote working? Yeah, it's definitely a change because I'm usually in and out of accounts all over the place in the, in the South. So being grounded has kind of told me that I can't work a nine-to-five job and I like what I'm doing. So there's there's that. <laughs> nice. uh, yeah, it's nice to be, you know, kind of starting to get into accounts here and there locally. Um, just kind of precaution, like taking all the precautions we can right now, uh, just to not go over like, be above and beyond what we need to like locally look at. So yeah, it's nice. Good. Well, I want to go back to Scotty and Darren, talk about your rogue days back in the day, both members of rogue athletic club and also employees of rogue 
Darren was at the University of Texas and kind of came to us from there. Scotty, you were at the University of Arkansas. We'll forgive you for that as a Razorback, but got to Austin as quickly as you could. Darren, you've been around since, gosh, darn near the beginning of Rogue. What were your early Rogue experiences like? Man, uh, Rogue, it, Rogue was like, it was this groundswell that when I was in college, I, I couldn't wrap my head around, right? You just saw them everywhere. And it was like, as a, as a collegiate runner, I was like, who are all these people <laughs> out every single day on the, the same trails, the same paths? Like, they all have these shirts. They all say rogue. Like, I didn't really understand or grasp, like, the magnitude of it. It was actually, it was pretty cool. And then, you know, um, you know I had a lot of support from Steve and Ruth throughout my college career. Um, and they just continued to uh, – support and like and, and cheer me on and, and pull for me um, and so it drew me into that kind of community that had been developed at Rogue and I wanted to learn more and so when I got out of school that was one of the opportunities I had to do and I realized this whole other world of running that coming up through high school and collegiate sports I hadn't been exposed to um, that I fell in love with um, and honestly like I actually, I want to ask you guys, how is it going with everything being adjusted for you guys? Because like the best part of it is just, it's the community, it's the people and like, yeah. we can do all this. And I think, you know, when I, when Scotty and I were on back in May, the most exciting part was like afterwards, Scotty and I called each other and we're like, did you see so-and-so was on? And oh, I wish they had, you know, texted or said something or this and that. I mean, you know, you can still do it this way, but that family, that kind of community that, that was built there and, and you know, the small part that Scott and I got to play in our time in Austin, um, like that, I'll never forget that. That was really cool. Um, it's, it's way above and beyond any PR, any qualifier, anything that you'll ever run um, because those things will stick with you, right? Yeah. yeah, it's different now. We'll talk about that. It's different, but I will say that the community has been strong anyway, and that's been pretty cool to see that it does extend to a virtual environment. It's not the same but we know it can't be the same right now. And so it's been, it's been cool to see people support each other in a different way. You were our first elite athlete, Darren. Your initial claim to fame was winning the BAA mile with a team rogue singlet in Boston, the Boston athletic club, one mile that usually happens or at, at the time, I guess it was relatively new and would happen right before still happens right before the Boston marathon. What was that like getting that, was that a bit in your first pro victory as a rogue athlete? Yeah, it was actually, it was, uh, I think it was my first pro race um, in, in general. Um, but yeah, I, I, so I remember uh, Ruth flew up and brought me a jersey on, on <laughs> race day. I had never worn the jersey before. It brought me a jersey on race day. And we had been talking and I was like, I was like, yeah, I'll wear a rogue jersey. That sounds cool. Um, and then I took the, the world's worst finish line photo ever. I almost put it as my background. I, like, <laughs> it, it looks like something terrible just happened to me. Um, but it was, that was, uh, arguably one of the top, you know, three, four moments of, of my career. Um, just with, you know, some of the names that I got to compete and beat. And, um, you know, I think to me, it was, it was really interesting after the, the race, um, I, I went for like a longer cool down because I was trying to get kind of a longer run in for the weekend. Still, it was early, early in the season track season for me. Um, and the, the rogues that were there running, uh, were actually going to be, um, having their team meeting down at, I think it was the intercontinental hotel. And so I looked it up and I was like, Oh, that's like, you know, that's just like three and a half miles away. I 
I live in Boston now. I had no clue where that was in Boston at the time, <laughs> but it's like three and a half miles away. So I ran down and I got to actually like speak to the rogues and a lot of them had come to watch me race. And I, I wasn't fully like indoctrined into the rogue family at this point. Like I hadn't really, I hadn't paid my dues. I hadn't spent my time there. I hadn't worked with the athletes. I hadn't made the friendships. Um, but I just remember that being a really cool moment. Um, and I think it's, it's part of what solidified. I wore that Jersey the rest of the year. I made the finals at the U.S. Championships that year in the 1500, wore the jersey, um, and I finished cooling down. I walked straight to the little fresh market that's across, or used to be across from the track, um, sat down and had a beer. We started talking about Team Rogue Elite and how we were going to make it happen. That summer, I flew to Europe, and I came back with Adam and Daisha Perkins, um, <laughs> a few other athletes who I had somehow convinced to move to Austin during my two months in Europe, uh, and we had a team of like five or six people. And it was, it was like this surreal, like beginning, but it was super organic. Um, it was all built around just this passion for running in general and pushing your body and finding out what you could do on a personal level and team and camaraderie. And I think it just tied in perfectly with what Rogue was all about. Yeah. And you pulled in college teammates, Joe Thorne and Eric Stanley as well. Darren has a way of organizing people, huh, Scotty? <laughs> yeah yeah a little bit uh not to say that i i still work with the guy uh, he was able to recruit me in austin and then he recruited me to ufos as well so it, you know I just his little little puppy dog following him around but i've been truly lucky um to you know have you know and, and darren is a great example of the road community because i wouldn't be who i am as a person or a runner without the road community and that goes not only for darren you know introducing me to the squad and the the employees and the, the people involved but also that goes forward to where i am now at ufos if it wasn't for darren i wouldn't have this great career that i love and have passion for so um and i think that's really what rogue is about it's about passion and it's about community and that was it, it was such a cool part of my life to be to be down there and involved in it and watch it grow and develop. And from when Darren started it and I joined to when we had multiple runners at the Olympic trials, uh, marathon, you know, or the Olympic trials on the track. It's just, it was a really cool evolution to watch and be a part of. Yeah. And you were a part of that pretty, you know, pretty early on. What was your first experience like coming down to Austin to check it out? So I, uh, I grew up near Dallas and I wasn't the hugest fan of Texas cause I wanted to get out of the state and anyone who's been in Dallas can agree. It's maybe not the nicest part of Texas, Doesn't really, you know, hug you, embrace you and welcome you and tell you, Hey, stay for a while. Um, but yeah, so I went to school at Arkansas after school, I was looking for an opportunity to continue my running career. Um, Steve and Ruth had contacted me and said, Hey, We'd love for you to come down check out Austin. Um, and I had friends in Austin, so I'm not going to lie. I totally went like on the ticket just to see you hang out with my buddies, but, uh, it didn't take long, you know, after meeting Darren and the crew guys I'd be training with after me, after seeing what rogue really is and the community that was there and the levels from the very early, you know, couch to 5k runner all the way up to an Olympic trials finalist. Like that is a really cool, just, you know, like what do you call it Terraria? spectrum yeah spectrum yeah exactly spectrum so um yeah so after i i, I told my my now wife my girlfriend at the time i was like hey i'm gonna go on a trip to austin to see this you know pro team but i'm probably not moving to austin don't worry about it and then <laughs> I drive back and be like uh yeah i'm totally moving to austin. 
I knew right away it was crazy. And, you know, it's one of those things like I just listened to my gut and my heart. And when I was there, I knew it was the place for me. And, uh, yeah, so it was a great section of my career. Hang on. My dogs are, uh, I'll jump in here because Scotty's not telling the full truth. The full truth is Scotty came down to Austin and we had a long run that weekend. Now, Scott was a, at the time, he was kind of a steeplechase specialist still on the track, but he had ambitions of moving up to 10K marathon, half marathon. I was a lowly 800 meter miler type guy, you know, dabbled in the three and the five every once in a while when I had to, right? So we go out for a long run and it's me, Joe Thorne, who ends up, you know, he becomes an Ironman triathlete, top 20 finisher at Kona, all that sort of stuff. Um, and Scotty's longest run at the time had been what, like 15 miles? 14? 14. 14. Right, yep. coming out of the University of Arkansas, multiple time All American. Right, I'm a miler, and we go, yeah, Scotty, we're going like 22, and he's like, what? 22 miles? And Joe and I proceeded to beat the living crap out of Scotty, 22 miles, uh, and then we took him to Magnolia Cafe and we treated him to a massive stack of mm -hmm. pancakes, in which we proceeded to cut the middle out of our pancakes and fill it with syrup. If you haven't seen my post <laughs> on the Facebook page. Go look at it. <laughs> Scotty's eyes bulged out of his head. His mouth dropped. And he's like, what are you guys doing? <laughs> Scotty, stick with us. We'll take you straight to the top. Done. Yeah, that's what I decided to do. Oh. Just here. And then, yeah, this led me to my career and all this good stuff. But, no, <laughs> yeah. No. Long run my, pancakes will do a lot. My, my first three weeks at Rogue were my longest long runs of like consecutively, like it was like 20 and then 21 and then 22 and I'd never run further than 14 miles. So <laughs> it was a eye opener for sure, but not only pancakes, but the long, the training and everything, you know, it was, um, yeah, it was pretty special though. Yeah. Arkansas was not known for its volume based programming. Speed man. All about the speed. <laughs> the thing I love though about both of you guys is you jumped in not only to the elite side of what we were doing, but also to the community side and we're kind of the jacks of all trade along with Kara and Sarah of helping us with marketing and other things. Both of you coached as well. And, and basically if there was something that needed to get done, we would ask one of you two to do it and it would just happen magically. It was like hanging the ice bath from the ceiling <laughs> on the <laughs> ladder. <laughs> That's right. We had this massive <laughs> ice bath that we hung from the rafters. So, so tell me, I, I just want to get, and we'll start with you, Darren. What about, give me a rogue story, like a fond memory of community event or something that you think back on when you reflect back on rogue. Oh, yeah. 100% without a doubt, the Rogue Raffler. Like, the Rogue <laughs> Raffler, the beginning of the Rogue Explain Raffler. Explain the Raffler. Oh, man. So, I don't even know how the Rogue Raffler got started. I think we decided we needed to do, like, an event. We're like, hey, we need to do more events because we need to bring more people by the shop. And I was like, all right, cool. I was like, I'm just going to go around town, and I'm going to check with a bunch of, like, the cool locals. So we were on the east side at the time, right? So, it was Rogue was on the east side. And our whole thing was we run the east side and everything else. I'm like, there's a lot of like hidden gems that we would go to for breakfast or for tacos or whatever on the east side. I'm like, I'm going to go around the east side to a bunch of these unknown places that probably a lot of our rogues don't know. And I'm going to get gift certificates. And then what we'll do is we'll set people up with like raffle tickets at each one of the locations so that, you know, we, we have people come in and they'll run by the location so they can learn kind of where it is. And when they run by it, they get a raffle ticket. 
well, we had to make it a little competitive and challenging. So <laughs> we turned it into this thing where like, we had this massive map that we would drop and like unroll and it never unrolled the way you wanted it to unroll. Like, <laughs> it was like partially unrolled and people were mad because you only had two minutes to write down all the locations and like- This was pre-smartphone pre too, I think. Oh, for sure, for sure. It, it was the dumb phone era, for sure. It might've been the rotary phone era. Uh, but like, you had this little index card and you had to write down like where you could go and the further away the location, the more raffle tickets you got. But you had to go out and then run and get all these tickets and come back and you could put them in. You could win all, you could win prize. You could win the gift certificates. We'd have brands that would, you know, give free shoes for, for the raffles and stuff like that. And I think it was like the, the very first one, they're like, well, what do we think we're going to get? It's like, oh, I could probably get like 20, 30 people. Like, I know my team's coming. Like, I, I scheduled this as a practice, so everybody's got to be there. <laughs> and then like 150, 200 people showed up. Yeah. It's awesome. And I think we did four or five of those um, in some of my, like, kind of my, my final kind of year, year and a half uh, at Rogue. And um, we did a Halloween one that was a ton of fun. Um, my wife and I's first date was at a Rogue Raffler. She flew in that day. I dropped her off at my house, went and set up the raffler and like had to do all this stuff and just left her at my house. And then that night she came and like experienced the whole raffler madness. And it was great. And then Scotty actually took it over when I, when I left him. Yeah. Yeah. What about what those, those events were, were crazy because yeah, we did, we did get a lot of people and you also kind of never knew what would happen. And typically there was costuming involved where we would encourage people to wear funny stuff. So always a good time. And then we would just drink until really late yeah. <laughs> after doing the event. As you do in Austin. <laughs> With the keg, you know, right there at the garage door. So favorite memory for you, Scotty, in one of those community events? Oh, man. Honestly, I think coaching for me, um, being coach on duty on a Saturday long run. Man, those, I had some like mornings where, I would get emotional just because I'm watching these people who are paying for us to torture them and run like all these miles in this astronomical heat. And it's just like, I'll, I'll never forget, you know, one of, one of the guys I was coaching and he was a, he was a beginner, never had really run in his life and, you know, was working his goal and goal was a marathon. And this was his first 20 mile run. And he was the last one in. And man, he came in with tears in his eyes and was like, dude, I did it. I did it. And I, I was like, you did it, man. It's awesome. <laughs> I was like, nothing is cooler than seeing that progression and seeing people grow like that. Um, and that's one thing I always talked about as a, as a rogue athlete and as a professional athlete is one of the things I'm very grateful for the rogue community is that it showed me another side of running and training and racing that I didn't know. Um, I was really good when I started running. I was, I was good from a freshman in high school all the way up through my 20s. And um, then I stopped running at 30 and no longer am good at running. So I kind of <laughs> sides of it. But, uh, but no, like I, I always didn't understand, you know, why people would run. I always ran to win. Like winning was why I trained hard so I could win a race and run fast, et cetera. And I got to Rogue and saw these hundreds of people that were training and they weren't going to win the race. They weren't going to, you know, set a world record. They were just doing it to accomplish something and to build themselves. And that is probably 
what I'll always take away from Rogue is it really opened my eyes to the running world and what it does for people, the good that it does for people and how it can change people's lives. And that was probably, you know, I, I remember that day sticking out, but there's, there's dozens of memories from Rogue that really, you know, had an effect on me. Um, marathon kids, you know, working with the, with the uh, schools in Austin and training these kids who had zero athletic ability and, you know, no, hope for a future. A lot of them planned on, you know, just getting some kind of low, low paying job right after high school. Cause they didn't plan on college. Their parents didn't think they could go to college and then watching that evolution and watching them finish the Austin marathon and then go back, show their parents, their medal, their parents being proud of them and just really changing their, you know, their pride, their self pride. And it's, it was pretty cool to be a part of that as well. So. Yeah. Still doing, still torturing people with some, with summer, so oh, yeah. miles. That's what we do. So let's talk a little bit about your pro careers. We'll start with you, Scotty, since we're on you. You, you, you may not look like it now, but you're a 214 Thank you, Chris. marathon PR, <laughs> 102 and change half marathon PR. Your claim to fame from on my list is having beat, beaten both Meb and Ryan Hall in races, including Ryan in Boston. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you've got a host of other accolades, including winning the Cap 10K. What, as you reflect back on it now, as someone who doesn't run as much, maybe at all, what do you, how, how do you think back and reflect on what you learned as a pro? Well, I mean, it was a constantly changing evolution. Like, I mean, every year I thought I knew, knew what it was to be a pro runner and knew what it was to be a marathoner. And every time I ran a marathon, I was completely, you know, like I was eating, ate a big old piece of humble pie. I mean, it, it was an ever changing thing. So basically, um, you know, there's, there's a lot of accolades that I, I look back and I really am grateful I got to accomplish, you know, the Olympic trials was huge. Um, to me, a lot of the local races meant a lot. So like the cap 10 K victories were huge for me. Cause I knew that was a big deal in, um, in Austin and in our community again. Um, I'll never forget. Sisson told me, uh, he was like, you're going to run cap. It's my first cap 10 K. He was like, you're going to run the cap 10 K on Saturday or whatever. You're going to win it. Um, and then you're going to be like kind of locally famous. And I, <laughs> dude, it's a, I was like, bro, it's a 10 K. Like it's not <laughs> deal and then I did win it that day and we went to lunch at um the Salt Lick and some people were staring at me from across the like the restaurant like the outdoor eating area and I was like why are they looking at me and he was like they recognize you and I was like that's not possible the race and literally the dude came up and he was like hey are you Scotty did you just win the capital 10k I was like, are you serious? And I told you, mother, I told you, you're going to be locally famous. So um, I actually met that guy in Arizona, side note and funny story. Yeah, I met him and he was like, hey, I was the guy that came up to you at the Salt Lake. And so anyway, but no, um, yeah, you know, I never figured out what I think running was. I knew what it was to me, but racing, marathoning, man, they're cruel and they can hurt you and they can be the greatest thing in your your life and the worst thing in your life at the same time. And, um, that was a battle I had to deal with for 17 years of high, you know, high level running. Um, but in general, you know, I, like I said earlier, I am who I am because of, because I was a runner, because I was a marathoner and because I was a rogue. Um, and like we always said, once a rogue, always a rogue. And I truly believe that. And, um, so yeah, I'm, I'm just 
blessed and grateful that it was a part of my life and I wouldn't change anything. Like, honestly, no regrets. Like it's, it's, it, it worked out the way it did and I'm happier now because of it. Um, I don't want to be fat. I want to be skinny. So I'll be happy, skinny. but you know, in general, I'm happy with my career and whatnot. So um, yeah. Time, I, out, time out, time out. <laughs> you got to go to the Salt Lake after you won? Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. The Shoal Creek Saloon. <laughs> <laughs> Darren also won a Captain K. <laughs> so Darren, we'll talk, we'll turn to you. Lots of accolades and you've had a career both as a runner as well as a triathlete and your biggest claim to fame perhaps is being the first father-son duo to go sub four in the mile. I think now one of only four father-son duos to have gone sub four in the mile, at least in the U.S. I think there's 12 internationally, but you guys were the first in the U.S. And and you had a long career. You you seem to be the athlete that could just evolve always. You know, it's like you were an 800, 1500 guy, but then you could run a 5K or 10K fast if you needed to. And then you went to triathlon and we're kicking people's asses in that both on the road and in Xterra formats. So as you reflect back on that, and now you're probably still competing. You're probably, you could probably go out right now and win a triathlon. So as you reflect back on your sort of quote unquote pro days as an athlete, what do you think back to? Um, you know, I, I think it's, it's odd because Scotty and I are so alike yet so different. Um, I, I came to running actually really late, even though I came from a, like a, a lineage of, of runners and good athletes. Obviously, my dad was a sub four minute mile, miler, American record holder in the steeple, master's American record holder in the, the marathon. The, the guy ran 215 when he was 42 years old. Like, it's insane. Um, and so, uh, you know, I didn't get started till my junior year of high school. My wife broke five minutes for the mile at a younger age and like earlier in actual linear time than I did. Right. So like I didn't break five minutes of the miles until I was a junior in high school. Um, you know, I, I think when I look back, like I, I've always said this, my most prized moment as an athlete wasn't actually anything I accomplished. It was something we accomplished, which was the, the triple crown at Texas relays. It was the first time um, University of Texas had ever accomplished a triple crown, which is all three distance relays at the pen relays, the four by eight, the four by mile and the DMR. Um, and I got to be a, a part of all, all uh, three of those teams with Leo Manzano and Eric Stanley, you know, a couple of the rogues, um, Jake Morse. Uh, and, and that was really cool that when we won Jacob Hernandez, when we won the four by eight, which was the last relay and LSU had held their whole like four by eight squad out just to run that race. And it was a, it was a close one. Like it was a nail biter. Um, and I didn't actually have the best leg on the four by eight. Like my, the team had to save a bit of the race on the four by eight. And, and I had had a really good four by 15. Um, the six of us got to run the track together and we carried not only like a, a university of Texas flag, but we carried a Texas flag as well. Um, like a, a Texas state flag as well. And that was just a really cool moment. Like we celebrated as a group. It was, it was something in every race, somebody had a, a bad leg and somebody else kind of saved them and, and covered their ass. And that was really, really cool to watch happen in real time over a 48 hour period. Um, and so I, I've had a few of those moments where I've gotten to taste victory, like the Cap 10K and, and Boston Road Mile. But to me, the process was always the gold star. Like, I loved showing up every day at the crack of dawn, busting my ass, and just seeing what I could get out of myself. And, you know, I think I always talk about my wife, who was an accomplished runner as well, like, 
she and I have very different mindsets. And I think she and Scotty have similar mindsets. Like they, they really, like they were so good because they, they hated to lose. Like they really, they, they fought for that win. I love just competing. And if I could get the best out of myself, I was really okay with that. And I think that's what drew me to like the rogue environment so well is to like what Scotty was saying, you know, there's only one person who can win a race, but to be around so many other people who are so okay and passionate about just pushing themselves to the next level and, and constant personal improvement. Um, and I think that's part of what's allowed me to move into other disciplines and excel is because I'm like, well, I don't have to be the best to enjoy it. Like I just have to enjoy it. And I, I thoroughly do. Like I really enjoy going through every step of the process, understanding there's a purpose for it, that it's making me better mentally, emotionally, physically. Um, and that on the other side, I'm going to be a better worker, wife or worker, husband, father, you know, everything else. Um, so yeah. Not, great wife, Aaron. 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 <laughs> great, great wife. <laughs> Speaking, speaking of your wives, I would say in many ways, your wives are both more accomplished than you are. So let's talk, let's, let's talk about that. We've got, we've got, uh, Casey Joe is Scott's wife. She was on the cusp of being an Olympic gymnast before she she turned to coaching. She put all of us to shame as far as, uh, uh, accolades go. That's for sure. (laughs) SEC champion, four-time All-American, um, runner-up at the NCAA championships. And she went on to uh, uh, go after her Olympic dream after college in gymnastics, which is kind of unheard of. Usually it's the 16, 17, 15, 16, 17-year-olds that are kind of vying for that Olympic team. And she went on as like a 21, 22-year-old to try for that spot. Um, unfortunately, that Olympic year, she broke her toe and couldn't uh, make it to the trials. But um, But yeah, no, she's her competitive drive is unrivaled in my opinion. That's why I'm pretty confident she's going to be NCAA championship coach at some point. You know, I think her team at one point is going to win an NCAA championship, whether that's here at Missouri or wherever she ends up coaching in her career. I think that she has the ability to do that. Um, And yeah, like, you know, Darren's, Darren's point of like, just that, that will to compete. I think, Joe's a little more towards me where she's, or me or Sarah, where she's like, she can't lose. She hates losing. Um, funny story about Steven Ruth, actually, the first time Casey Joe ever met her, we were having a couple beers around a, a fire in their backyard. And Steve challenged Casey Joe to a, a hole burning competition in their fence, in their wooden fence. They wanted to see like how hot you could get the stick to make like a hole in the fence. Like you burn like a hole. They were going to knock the fence anyway. So they were trying to like get rid of it. Um, Casey Joe, once she was challenged, sat there for an hour and a half and burned a hole that you could fit your face through into the fence. So that just shows you like right then and there, like Ruth and Steve knew like, okay, they, that's, you know, she's, she's a winner. She's a competitor. So that's my wife in a nutshell. But, and I know Darren deals with a lot of those competitive issues at home as well. he <laughs> got down on one knee on the other side of the fence and actually proposed through that hole. <laughs> So what, what is she, what has she taught you, Scotty? Oh, goodness. Um, honestly, you know, I, I, I like to win, but she's really taught me like the passion for the process and the passion for, um, you know, the journey rather than just the, the outcome. Right. So, so when she's coaching now and when her girls are up on the beam, you know, that's all part of the journey. And when at that, that's gotta be hard. That's like, you know, I don't know a great analogy, maybe a captain in a ship, but like it's, she doesn't have control over that just on the beam. So 
where, where she, her whole gymnastics career, she was on the beam and she had complete control. Now she's taken a step back, but she still has that passion and drive for winning and, you know, competitiveness and, um, what I really like about her. And I, I would correlate this to what I appreciate about rogue is, um, her emphasis in coaching is on building strong women and strong female leaders rather than building champion gymnasts. That's just going to come along with it. And I think that goes back to the rogue culture. It's building good people. You're, you have these people that are training for a goal that's making them better. Like it's, it's accomplishing something. It's checking something off their box. It's building them up as people. And that's what she's doing with her gymnasts every day. And so that correlation to me is just, again, I was always very singular, like I want to win. That's all that matters. I really didn't care much about what else was going on, but I think both rogue and my wife have opened up my eyes to just the world that is around competitiveness and, and competition in general. And yeah, it's, it's a beautiful thing. And I'm grateful for those things. Enjoy the journey. Yep, absolutely. So important. We know we know Darren enjoys the journey. Darren, the thing that always impressed me about you is your attention to detail when it came to your craft. There was no stone left unturned when it came to the process by which you went about being the best, the best that you could be. Where did that come from? Uh, I don't know. I think some people would call me anal retentive. I, I mean, <laughs> <laughs> OCD, I, yeah, something. A part of, of the the twitch that is me. Um, I I am super detail oriented. Um, you know, I when I was really like not really young, but when I was young, when I was growing up, like the number one thing that I remember that like my my mom and and I'll I'll say my stepdad for the sake of this, but he's my father for all purposes' sake. I mean, he raised me since I was seven. Um, they used to just always tell me if something's worth doing, it's worth doing right. And so I, I don't know why, but that always stuck with me. Right. And so this attention to detail was about like, all right, if I'm going to waste time and energy and, you know, resources in, in chasing this down, like I want to make sure I'm, I'm making the most of it. Um, and making the most of it doesn't always mean, uh, you know, being again, when, when it comes to athletics, being the best, and then having the best possible journey along the way and having, you know, the outcome be um, positive. Um, and, and the reality is on race day, a hundred thousand things can go wrong. Right. But if you've got a positive outlook and perspective on it, um, if you've had a good time getting there, if you can appreciate the, the positive things that happened along the way, then overall that experience is, is going to be a good memory for you. It's not going to leave a bad taste in your mouth. And I think that was always my goal of accomplishing things. And so it's like, all right, if I'm going to do it, I'm going to do everything I possibly can along the way. I also like, again, this is the difference between my wife and I, like my wife just wants to go out and like pound people in pavement, right? <laughs> like she just, if she could never warm up a day in her life and never cool down, she would. If, if I had to give her like six by a mile at five minute pace and she could literally just walk out to the track in her spikes, line up and go, like that's what she would do. Whereas I enjoyed like, all right, I'm going to do two laps barefoot because I'm strengthening my feet and I'm building the foundation. And then I'm going to put, you know, my trainers on, I'm going to go for a little jog. Then I'm going to do the dynamic stuff. And like, to me, it was about, all right, how is each one of these things making me a little bit better? Because if you remember at the end of the day, for me, it was about how can I make myself better, better human, a better athlete, a better person. And so all those things mattered to me. Um, my wife's just generally a really good person. So she probably just doesn't have to work on it as much. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, like, 
I, I think like, I think that's where it came from. It was just like, it was, it was a lesson super early instilled in me that like, look, if you're going to do it. And it really, it came from cleaning the bathroom because I was terrible at cleaning the bathroom as a kid. And I used to have to do it like three times in a row. So well, oh. be like, look, you don't do it right this time. You're doing it again. So you might as well do it right. <laughs> Natalie, is this explaining so much about your boss? <laughs> we're getting to the, the good stuff now but that reminds me of my dad's famous quote when he had me doing a, a chore he would say a lazy man works twice yeah. uh, so same kind of thing he always taught me do it right the first time otherwise you'll have to do it again and in your case maybe three times yeah. let's talk about sarah bowman brown for a second because she has an amazing story in her own right as someone who had a baby in advance of the Olympic trials, still went to compete, trained through that process. And there's a really cool documentary kind of chronicling that that you could probably still find out there. But she's, a, she's been an inspiration to a lot of women now retired, but was in her own right, a pretty amazing pro runner. When you think of Sarah, what do you think about? Man, I just like, to be honest, it, when I think of Sarah, it actually has nothing to do with athletics because if you could see the mother that she is to our children, it's absolutely amazing. And, you know, oddly enough, like that passion and excellence in her is what ultimately actually pulled her away from the sport just recently. Um, after our second child is she just, she absolutely loves like this transition to motherhood and, you know, being just a family oriented family first type of person um, we always really recognize that as a professional athlete, you, you have to be very selfish by nature, right? You have to think of yourself first and you have to put your training and your ambitions at the top of the priority list because it's, it's really hard to accomplish the things that she accomplished, right? To make world teams, to make world finals, um, you know, to make three Olympic trials in a row um, and, you know, to, to set high school national records, all, all that sort of stuff, to break world relay records. like you have to have a level of selfishness. Um, but she's always been very open and, and honest about that. And that was one of the things that I think really worked early in our relationship is we had an understanding of, of that. And I was exiting out of my career. I was coming off of a pretty serious uh, injury where I, I broke my ankle um, in a couple of places. And, um, you know, I had an understanding that she needed to treat that first. Um, but like, it's been really cool to see a lot of people have a really hard time transitioning out of the sport and she didn't, she had this whole new passion and, you know, um, zealousness for life pop up with, with our little girls, which the first one, as, as you alluded to was, was not planned. She was coming off of her best track season ever in 2015. Uh, Sarah ran a PR or one every single race she was in until the U S championships in 2015. Um, where she made it to the final for like the, it was the eighth year in a row she had made the finals of either the U.S. champs or the Olympic trials, eight years in a row. Um, and she had an absolute shitter down the home straight. Um, and we didn't understand why, because she had been having phenomenal year. We had built her slowly from a steady base in 2013, where she made the world team. 2014, she had um, the world's fastest time in the mile um, that she ran up at Harry Jerome. And then in 2015, we had put that like, finishing tweak on her training. Um, and, and those were the first three years I had coached her. Um, we put that finishing tweak on her training and her, and her, her finishing speed was there. Uh, but it wasn't there in the final. 
and we didn't know why. She went over to Europe. She was in the race in Monaco where Dababa broke the world record and she was on pace until like 150 to go to run a really fast time. And again, went out the, like just completely shut down. We had no clue what was going on. So we sent her to get blood work done. Um, and they basically came in and were like, well, what the, what the good news is the good news. And we're like, well, what's the Surprise. good news? <laughs> You're pregnant, you know? And it's like, oh, hey, we're having a baby. <laughs> um, so yeah. Uh, yeah, it was, it was a whirlwind of a year, but she, I mean, how tough was she to then go, you know what? Like I've got the Olympic trials. Well, I've got the Olympic A standard. I've got the Olympic trials qualifier in the 800 and the 1500. I'm going to have the, the baby 12 weeks before, you know, the, the trials. I'm not saying I'm going to make a team, but there's really no reason I can't train or do some level of training, like can't stay fit. And um, in 2012, she finished sixth at the Olympic trials. She had only been running for five weeks because of an Achilles issue. She had Achilles surgery and then had only been running for five weeks after a ton of cross training. So we also had this like baseline of like, she's done crazy stuff before. <laughs> this might yeah. not be the craziest thing. So, I mean, for us, we just, we went in with no expectations, but with also like, what do we have to lose? If we're smart, we're safe. You know, we have a healthy baby. She's healthy after the pregnancy then we'll reevaluate and we'll assess and we'll see if we can move forward. And we could at the time. Um, unfortunately, she ended up with some uh, postpartum osteoporosis issues that, that crept up on her, um, which she didn't have after our second child. So that was the good news. But, um, you know, I was really proud of her for everything she went yeah. through. It was great. Yeah, I was in the stands watching her in 2016 compete at the trials, 12 weeks post baby number one. Pretty, pretty amazing story. Let's switch gears and talk about recovery because that's what UFOS is all about. But you had to learn about recovery, both of you, well before UFOS entered your life. And I would say, Scotty, you probably learned the hard way on recovery, maybe more so than Darren. What, what were your, when you reflect back on training as an elite athlete, what did you learn about recovery? Well, I was thinking about this earlier because, um, you know, just the concept of recovery and how most of my life and career, I never really had to think about it too much. Cause like you just ran hard and then you go get a good meal and like get some sleep, whatever. Um, but then, you know, I got to rogue and we talked about how like the mileage just boom cranked up and you know, every step of competition, whether it's high school to college or college to professional, like you think you can understand or grasp like the, the difference in training and racing, but it's like, you, you have no idea what the, the level of increase is. Right. So it's, it's like they say in the NFL, it's just faster, it's harder. You know, it's, it's the hits are bigger, like all that stuff. It's the same in running. It's just, you know, people are doing workouts at the pace I used to race at. And it's like, you, it's really hard to grasp that. So um, recovery for me is something I definitely had to teach myself late in life and um, late in my career too. I mean, I didn't start wearing compression socks or, you know, start foam rolling until, till later in my rogue days, honestly. Um, but, and then that actually my, my career as a runner and my life in UFOS all kind of bled together. Thanks to Darren. Right. So I was actually uh, visiting my parents in San Diego when I was running for rogue, this was probably like 2015 or so. And um, I met Darren for a run. He was living out there working for Elliptigo and he was like, Hey man, um, my dad's working with this company and uh, they're making these really awesome recovery, like footwear. You should, you should try them out, you know? And so I was like, 
okay, so he pulls these really ugly sandals out of his trunk, and he's like, put one of these on, and I'm like, I don't want to put on your ugly sandals trunk, that's disgusting, but I put it on, and that's the, you know, now the rest is history. The rest is history. Right. So, um, but no, so for me, recovery was something I had to learn. I never took naps my entire life until I lived in Austin and was running a hundred miles a week. And so napping, right. Eating, right. Uh, you know, compression technology, UFOs. These are all things that I had access to the last couple years of my elite training days. And thank God I did because I was very lucky and really knock on wood, you know, I didn't really have a, you know, injury, so to speak throughout those years, because I was being a little more attentive to it. I think my body, my bone structure was kind of just, you know, freakish to start with. I, I never had a stress fracture. I ran 17 years of very um, intense, you know, training and I never had a stress fracture once, but you know, all the tendonitis and stuff like that, that I would get, you know, the overuse injuries, you know, I had to teach myself late how to be proactive about those things. And, you know, UFOS again, plays that perfect role. It's you wear it around the house on your hardwood and your tile and, after your long run, when you're going to grab a taco and some coffee and, and you're already starting that recovery process, which, um, you know, a lot of people won't get to until later in the day when they can sit down or have a massage or whatever. So it's just being proactive. I think that's the huge thing about it. And that's what I learned later on in my career. Did you have to learn to slow down on your easy days? I sure did. I sure did, Chris. <laughs> Thanks for asking. Uh, it just fact, seems uh, like maybe that was something you had to learn. Yeah, After no, coming out yeah. of Arkansas. And, and that um that came later too. And the funny thing is, like I said, I never really figured it out. I was always constantly learning and evolving. Is I was stupid runner. So I went from like sprinting every single run to oh, you're running too fast. So I was jogging every single run and also not getting enough workout. So like I went to the extremes and uh hi Izzy, how you doing? I see you. <laughs> She's pointing <laughs> at <you>. Yeah. <laughs> But, uh, yeah, so the, for me, you know, Arkansas, like I said, we didn't do long runs. Our longest run in Arkansas was like 14 and a half miles, but they were all fast. Every single mile we ran, whether it was an easy recovery run or a regular training run or on the track, we were running fast. So, um, got to rogue. And I remember my first workout with Darren Brown ever was a 10 mile steady state, uh, with the rogue, with team rogue elite and rogue athletic club there. And, uh, I remember running and being like, I don't think this is fast enough. I think this is too easy, but I didn't understand the concept of like, you know, training systems and whatnot. So I was just like, this is what I used to run my recovery runs at. And now I'm running a steady state at this point. It didn't make sense to me. So um, yes, Chris, I did have to slow down a lot. And once I started running 120 plus miles a week, that's when I realized like what paces were, you know, acceptable for certain distances and et cetera. So, um, but, but yeah, so that was that, that along with the napping, like those were all things that just evolved as I grew as an athlete. I didn't really understand those to be, you know, but I, I got them later in life. Yeah. Well, I think Darren learned a little sooner. We've already established that he's uh, detail oriented with the process. What were the, your keys to recovery, Darren? Well, so I was really good at recovery when it was like on site and part of the process where I always fell short was I was a terrible napper, right? I couldn't nap and, and sleep is the best recovery you can get, right? It's it, your body makes the most advancements when you're sleeping. Um, but on top of being a terrible napper, I'm also highly social. 
and, and Austin has a few things to do. <laughs> and so uh, I was never at a loss for being out and about in between training sessions uh, here or there, not always mischievous, but, uh, you know, not always energy conserving. Um, and, you know, I think there's definitely um, a benefit to, you know, to, to people who can do, like, check all the boxes. And I think that's, that's the other part of it is, you know, in, in today's world and for people who aren't making six figures doing a sport for their, their living, the idea of doing everything perfectly doesn't exist and perfection doesn't exist. Um, and so for me, it's about doing everything that you possibly can. Uh, and let me tell you, like, yes, there is a point to going, you know, doing barefoot drills after your training run and running barefoot and doing track workouts in flats versus your training shoes to help, you know, strengthen your, your lower posterior chain and your feet and your ankles and everything else. But once you've worked them, you need to give them a break, right? Like you don't go into the weight room and lift and then walk around town with dumbbells doing this while going to the bars and restaurants, right? Like, I mean, you can, but people are probably going to think so. Uh, and so, like, that's, that's really what really intrigued me about UFOS. And one of the reasons that I, I really took an interest in it is, like, it's this whole concept of, look, if you can't nap, if you can't sleep, if you can't be doing the perfect thing, do the best thing possible to get as close to it as you can. And, and what our technology has been proven to do is to bring your lower legs, your ankles, your calves, your feet, your planner to a more passive state that allows it to rest and recover. There is absolutely a place for uh, barefoot walks, for sand walks, for you know some light sand uh, or grass, barefoot grass running. There's absolutely a place for it. Um, but you then have to let your feet, your legs, your calves, your soleus, your gastric, everything recover the way the body needs to recover, the way your quads need to recover after a big hill day or running, you know, the, the, the hills of Boston or anything else or any marathon, really, when you can't walk downstairs. Um, and so I think, you know, for me personally, the biggest struggle was uh, Austin, Texas, a lack of napping and social <laughs> nature with a uh, craze of Tom's that was happening at the time. Uh, and so uh, it probably compacted performance a little bit, but you, you also never said no to any project we threw your way at rogue as no. well. So no, they're usually fun. They usually involve yeah. social activity. Some drinking or a DJ involved. Yeah. 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 I mean, it was work, work in air quotes. Yeah, I have to put together a blow up water slide and test it out <laughs> That's right. 30 times. Yeah. Oh, right. Yeah. That, I, I forgot about our slip and slide event. So let's, let's talk about, so give us the infomercial on the foam, the ooh foam that is the foundation of this shoe or of this portfolio of shoes. Yeah. So ooh foam is like, I mean, every, every open toed sandal slide, one piece mold we make is made out of ooh foam. It's, it's the entire footbed uh, makeup and composition of our closed toed shoes, um, the UMG line. Um, and so UFOM is uh, the design of a, a chemical engineer um, in Korea that, that our founders have worked with for 30 years going back to, you know, when they were one of the first 10 people at Nike or the first internal designer at, at Adidas, the person who designed, you know, the freestyle and the Reebok classic and, and some, some of these really cool silhouettes of the past. Um, and basically this, they, they were introduced to this foam and they're like, hey, we've got this really cool foam except it does the opposite of everything you've ever been told a foam should do, which means it doesn't respond, it doesn't rebound quickly, it doesn't help propel you, it's not gonna make you run faster, jump higher, do any of that stuff. 
um, but it's going to reduce load and take stress off the body. Um, and we think if, if molded into the right form and, and shape and fit, um, it can lead to more natural mechanics similar to walking barefoot on grass or hard compact sand. Um, and so our founders being people who have not only worked in the performance footwear industry for, for decades, but also being people who have, have been really focused on research around um, ankle mechanics um, and foot mechanics with, um, you know, whether it's sock companies or footwear companies, uh, they said, well, this is super interesting. And so the first person they actually ever tested UFOM out on was our chemist um, aging mother who had foot neuropathies who couldn't walk around her house barefoot. And they made a very basic mold out of it. Didn't have the, the UFOS patented footbed that we have now, um, but she got immediate relief. And so this concept of relief and recovery started to bubble to the surface. And so then they, they went back to the drawing board and they actually built the, the patented footbed. Paul Brown designed it. Um, and you know, they, they came up with the original and, and the original is still our number one seller today. It's like, it's the best place to start. If you've never worn a pair of UFOS, go to, go to your local running store, put on an original and walk around. Like, is that the slide? It's, it's the, the toe post. Yeah. Okay. So the all black one. There we go. Okay. Got it. Yeah. And stuff. Um, yep. is the original, um, and, and go try that on. That's the experience. That's what we call feeling the ooh. Even our name UFOS comes from the reaction people had when they started trying on our product. They'll go, ooh, ooh. And it, it, <laughs> that's why we're UFOS feel the ooh. Um, and so they came back to the U.S. and they're like, well, we, we just blindly bought like 50,000 pairs of originals. Um, so what do we do? Uh, and they live in Boston. So they went where any running person would go. They went to the Boston Marathon Expo. Uh, and they sold like 300 pair of, of originals at the Boston Marathon Expo. And this whole concept of recovery and impact absorption, which is the primary um, component in, in UFOM, impact absorption versus rebounded energy and return, um, really struck because we, we think about that. We think about the impact forces of running of hard surfaces like concrete and asphalt that we compete on and train on, right? There's a reason that coaches will say, if you get a chance to get off-road onto soft surfaces or onto terrains that make you have to react, it's good for you. It, it helps the body adapt and recover and, and take stress off. And so um, we're basically, we're providing that soft surface solution uh, for everyday living uh, for those people who can't go home and take a five-hour nap before their second run. Yeah, I can tell you that it's been my quarantine shoe of choice. I've also had a little bit of a plantar nerve issue in my heel, causing heel pain. And it's pretty much the only thing I can wear that doesn't really, really piss that thing off. So thank you for that. I am, yeah, I am not <laughs> surprised. And one of the cool things that I get to do, I get to work with a lot of really small, smart people, not small, smart, uh, really <laughs> smart people in um, – the biomechanics and physiology space. So Catherine Boyer, who's at University of Massachusetts um, at Amherst, which is where one of our founders is a alum of, she runs one of the top biomechanics labs in, in the world. I've, I've done some work down at the UVA Speed Clinic um, with Jay Dishery and Rob Cotanello, who's a sports podiatrist. We're constantly trying to learn and find out more about why so much of, uh, so many of the stories like what you just said happen and what is the cause and effect really that's happening. And we know we reduce load, right? Compared to EVA, we reduce load by upwards of 88%. You know, we, we absorb impact and don't return it at a 37% higher rate, right? We know a lot of these things, but it's like, okay, what does that manifest itself to in the body? Um, and we're learning really, really cool things day in and day out. And I'm lucky that part of my job is I get to investigate all that. 
And that's the nerd side of me that really likes to dig into that stuff coming out. <laughs> no doubt. And, you know, really, I mean, as you kind of alluded to, you have to try it to really feel it. It's, you have to feel the ooh to know. And fortunately, all of our partners, if you're a rogue member, you've got a local Jackrabbit store to go check out. So I would highly encourage you to go to your local Jackrabbit. Just try on a pair. I mean, it's post long run. If you throw these things on, it's, it's, ooh, I mean, that's all I can say. <laughs> and work, working at home all day, shelter in place, it's, ooh. So give us a quick overview of the line. We'll ask Scotty this question, so you have to actually pull out your sales rep skills. Give us a quick overview of the line of stuff. What are the options for feeling the ooh? Because the footbed is more or less the same, but you've got a lot of different ways you can wear it. Let me grab my handy-dandy sales rep bag real quick. Hang on. <laughs> I'm sure Natalie can help you. Yeah, with, Natalie, uh, you want to you want to kick it off with you, Ridge, and I'll take it from there. Yeah, that's fine. Um, so as Darren was talking about, this is our bread and butter. Um, this is our original. This one's our sport. It's a little fancier. It's got a different color on top. Uh, it's a unisex. Last goes from women's uh, six, men four, all the way up to sixteen uh, on some of the colors. So this guy's. I mean, all of our footbed remains the same, so it's basically a different option of how you want to wear it. So we have this guy, this one with the thicker straps. Once again, fits everyone perfectly, um, at least most people perfectly. And then you've got the ooh-la-la, which is a thinner strap, a little bit narrower of a width, more women-specific out of B-width. Um, so in terms of like our toe-posted stuff, you've got the unisex last, a little bit narrower with the toe doesn't slide around as much and uh, Scotty can show you a little bit of the slide options. Absolutely. So um, that original, like Darren said, it's our best seller internationally. And that's just because it's, it's a flip-flop, it's a slipper, it's a thong, it's a sandal. Like, you know, where in the world does that not correlate? That just makes sense so many places. And black is going to be a top seller for us across most of the board, but we do have some amazing colors in our line right now. So you can check out at um, your Jackrabbit or ufos.com. Just go check out the new styles and colors. But uh, like Natalie said, we do have a slide option because one of the main things about that original is we were not me. I wasn't part of the team then, but our founders and, you know, people working for UFOs at the time realized they were getting a lot of feedback that people didn't like the toe post. Um, it, you know, they didn't like something between their toes. So they were like, okay, well, let's take the same exact footbed and put a strap on it that doesn't have a toe post. It's going to be just an easy slide. You can wear it with socks after a workout. It's easier for the gym. It's going to be easier for around the house, a simple slip on version. So that's our ooh-ah. Um, the next uh, kind of step up from that is going to be the Ua Lux, which is the, oh, excuse me, the more uh, aesthetically pleasing version of the Ua. So we put a little uh, paint flash on the strap there. So those both, again, are set on the same footbed. That's going to be a D width, which is our neutral width. That's what we make the Ua original, the Ua, the Ua Lux, and most of our products in. The Ooh La La that Natalie showed you, that is going to be the B width. Um, that's a, you know, a female uh, last, so to speak, or I sell it to a lot of men with narrow feet. So all of our products, I think, are unisex, but we do have two different widths to sell on. Um, from that ooh-ah, we noticed a lot of people weren't fitting into it if they had a high instep, a wide foot, a really narrow foot. So we developed the ooh-ah Sport Flex. 
is probably like this, this had the most anticipation, I think, in the time I worked for UFOS, when this was announced, people were so excited about it. And I can tell you in Hawaii, this is selling like crazy. Polynesians have, you know, bigger feet. They wear sandals or they're barefoot most of their life. So their feet tend to be wider. And a lot of people are loving the new adjustability in this UA Sport Flex. Um, again, you can uh, just the width, the instep, you know, it just is a more custom fit for a lot of people. Um, she already showed you the ooh la la. So the only other two styles I'll kind of go into are, are ooh klug. So the klug right here is going to be, um, you know, it's all made of ooh foam. So it's, it's, it's got that warmth. It's a little warmer, better for cold climates. It's great for hospital workers. You know, people who are on their feet all day. I actually prefer this for my like house slipper in the winter because this actually really does keep your feet pretty toasty. Um, but yeah, again, it's the same footbed as our ooh -ah and our original, but it has that covered toe. We got a lot of feedback saying, Hey, I don't want my toes to be exposed. So initially they came out with the ooh klug and that was a nice option. Um, from there, people wanted something that was a little more secure and that's where we came out with the OMG. This is actually new. This is going to be a new product coming out soon. This is the OMG easy. Um, this is a, you know, closed toe. So we have three levels of OMG, the mesh, the fiber and the easy canvas. Um, they all are a little more classy, a little more casual. Um, yeah. And they're super comfortable. They, they give you great support laterally top of your foot, the instep, all that stuff. Um, and again, it's all made with the same footbed. So you're getting the same arch support, you know, you're getting the same, uh, biomechanic help it's going to promote a natural foot strike and again the foam we use is going to reduce the impact and that's across the board everything we make is going to give you all those benefits i love it i need those last ones for date night <laughs> just wait the easy drops in about two months and uh I've, I've been wearing them for about a year now and they're pretty sweet i could go from slide to the to the umg for date night my wife would love it all right, so you guys have been so gracious with your time, but also gracious in supporting our last race of the Front Door 5K series. You were with us at the kickoff. You're now helping us support this last race, promoting and providing prizes for our bib challenge. How would you think about getting up for and doing your best in a virtual race? Well, first I'd wait till everybody else had posted a time and then I'd know what I had to beat. <laughs> Fair, good Remember, tip. Chris, Work smarter, not harder. <laughs> if I don't got to run that fast to win. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Uh, no, I mean, so look, find, find your high place, right? Every single person that's, that's competing in this has their favorite route, their favorite stretch, their favorite loop. You might be somebody who wants to run a one loop 5K, or you might be somebody like me who I'd rather have a 1K loop that I could do five times because in my track mind, like that's what I can count. I can count down, right? So that'll keep me involved. The cool thing about virtual is it's a, it's a pick your own destiny race, right? Like choose wisely, get into your comfort zone, find your rhythm. And you know, it's funny. Another thing that, that my dad used to say to me when he, he started coaching me when I was really young, um, I shouldn't say really young, when I was a junior in high school, uh, was run slower to run faster. I never understood what that meant. But if you go back and you watch Muhammad Ahmed's uh, 12.47 5K, North American record that he ran just the other day from the Bowerman Track Club, 
he consistently runs faster, 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 as that 5K goes on. Run slower to run faster. If you burn it all up in the first mile and you've gone anaerobic and you're huffing and puffing and you're wheezing, your nostrils are flared because you're trying to gasp for every last breath you possibly can, you still have two miles to run. If you put that effort into the third mile, by the time the nostrils are flaring, you can stop and have a beer. Like, it's as simple as that. Burn it all up at the end, not at the beginning. Run slower to run faster. And also just pick, pick your course. Like, if this, if this is something, if you're going for it, like, do the things that put you in your comfort zone. Have your Fruit Loops or whatever it is that's your comfort food in the morning. Uh, I had um, Migas and French Toast from uh, Kirby Cafe the morning of my very first sub four minute mile. And <laughs> it was just a couple, it, I lived right down the street. Yeah. Had it. it wasn't the most nutritious thing, but you know what? I was trying to stay relaxed. So do yourself fortunately, a favor. Yeah. Fortunately you were racing a little later in the afternoon. So that wasn't sitting in your stomach. Right. Sure. When you did I that. The last thing I put in my stomach, I think I had it at like 11 AM. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Awesome. Good tips there. Thanks to you guys for joining us. Thanks for supporting the Front Door 5K and thanks for all the info on UFOs. We really appreciate you guys. It was good to go back in time and do a little rogue reminiscing. So thanks. Thanks all. We really appreciate it. So there you go. A fun conversation with our friends from UFOs and former rogue team members, Scott McPherson and Darren Brown. Two guys that it's been a real honor to have them in our community and we still feel like they're a part of it even though they now live elsewhere so thanks to them for joining thanks to all of you for listening as always you can check us out at roguerunning.com or follow us on twitter instagram or the facebook at rogue running until next time we'll talk to you soon